All right, let's look in uh, 1 Samuel today. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I kind of uh, flip-flop back and forth about what to do next in Sunday school. I was going to do, uh, we was going to look at the book of Galatians, and then I thought about Exodus, and then I flipped back to Galatians, and uh, still haven't entirely made up my mind, but I was reading 1 Samuel this past week, this, this week, and uh, thought uh, Samuel would be a good man to study. So we'll, we'll take a look at Samuel. I'm going to go through, <clears throat> uh, just kind of give you a warning. We'll go through, and I don't know how far we'll go. We won't go all, all the way through the book at one time. We may break it up. We may go through all the book. I, you just never can tell. But there are parts of the book, just give you forewarning, there are parts of the book to where I think we're going to crawl. We're going to go real slow because there's just a lot of information packed into one section. We're not going to deal entirely all with Samuel. For example, this morning, I'm going to kind of try to give you a little bit of background. So just forewarning, some of it may be a little dry to you. Uh, some of you probably didn't like history in school, did you? I, did, I didn't care much for history. I like it now, but I didn't care much for history in school. But uh, the book of First Samuel... Uh, a lot of what, when you get done with the first five books of the Bible, they call that the Pentateuch, that's the books of, books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When you get done with that, you're dealing with history there, but it especially begins once you hit Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, all the way down to 2 Kings, you are especially dealing with history. And so there's a lot of things that I think that will help you if we, if we go over it in Sunday school. I think it will help you uh, be a little more interested in your Bible reading. A lot, a lot of people are not interested in their Bible reading because honestly, and it's understandable, honestly when you open up your Bible you're looking at all this kind of stuff and you say, what's this even talking about? So maybe we can remedy some of that for you and try and help you understand some of that stuff. So 1 Samuel 1, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read a couple of verses. Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for uh, God, just the ability to come to church. And we thank you, Lord, most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, dying for our sins. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, this morning as we, uh, God, begin to look here in 1 Samuel. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you'd... Uh, Deal with folks, God. Help me, Lord, to explain things. Sometimes, God, I, Lord, I try to explain things, and, Lord, it doesn't seem to come out very clear, uh, Lord, even to myself. And, Lord, I pray that that would not be the case this morning. I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to make things as clear as I possibly can. And, Lord, a lot of information this morning, but pray that you'd help me, God, just to cover it, God, as, as timely but as slowly as needs to be covered. And we'll thank you for it. God, I know there's folks still on their way right now. Lord, pray that you'd watch out over them. God, keep them safe. And, Lord, whoever not able to make it this morning, Sunday school, God, Lord, providentially hindered. God, I pray you'd be with them. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, now there was a, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, Jeroham, I'll get it out here in just a second. The son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts 
in Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. All right, that, that's all we're going to look at this morning. Now, I hope, I hope you've read through the book of 1 Samuel at some point in your life, and if you haven't, I would encourage you maybe this week to sit down and just try to plow through 1 Samuel. It might take you a couple of days. Might, you might be able to do it all in one sitting. That depends on your attention span. But try to get through 1 Samuel just to be familiar with the book, and that'll help you because we're going to refer to different places throughout the book of 1 Samuel. But here in verse 1, he says, There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. Now, the name Elkanah means whom God possessed. And the, the, let me back up and say this. Uh, I think it's obvious that who we're dealing with, uh, Elkanah and Hannah, is the mother and dad of Samuel, which is who we're taking a look at. So we, are gonna, we, w- we do want to take a look at their mama and daddy because who their mama and daddy is, who, who your mother and daddy is, has a lot of influence on the way that you are. Amen. And uh, who you are as a mama and daddy has a lot of influence on who your children are going to turn out to be. And so that's a, that's a very important thing. And that's why I bring up this subject about Elkanah, his name meaning whom God possessed. Samuel turned out to be a very good man. And it's kind of ironic to me that his daddy's name means whom God possessed. And so I just make a little devotional application right there to you and say if you want your kids to turn out well, It'd be a good idea for you to be possessed by the Lord. Be saved first and foremost, but consecrate yourself. Give yourself to God and let God be able to use you any way that he wants, wants to. And there's a lot of preaching there, but I don't want to take that time or we won't get through all of this stuff. Now, he says here, he says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. So there's Samuel's daddy, the son of uh, Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And so uh, let me look down here. Uh, Elkanah is an, a Levite. I don't know if you've ever known that or not, which Elkanah is a Levite, which would mean Samuel's a Levite. And if you know anything about your Bible, you know that Levi is the priestly tribe. Hold your place there in 1 Samuel and let's look over in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. 1 Chronicles chapter 6. Now, that's important. It's important to know that Samuel is a Levite because that would make him a priest, which is very interesting because when you look at his office throughout the 1 Samuel, when you look at his office, he doesn't really do a whole lot of, he doesn't do, well, let me not say that because that's not true. His office overlaps between prophet and priest. Looking through the Old Testament, there are three main offices. There is the office of a prophet, there is the office of a priest, and then there is the office of, anybody want to take a guess? King. There you go. So, ding, ding, ding. We'll get you a Snickers bar. But anyways, you got prophet, prophet, priest, and king. And there are some men throughout your Bible in the Old Testament that fulfill all three roles. David. David fulfilled the office of a prophet. You can see a lot of that through the book of Psalms. He also fulfilled the role of a priest. He offered sacrifices, and God never said anything to him about it, which is really interesting because when Saul tried to offer sacrifices, God slapped him on the knuckles about it. And we'll, we'll get to that in the book of 1 Samuel at some point. But, uh, and then David was also a king. 
another man who you find the same way is Moses. Moses was prophet, priest, and king. You say, well, what was Moses king over? Well, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses was king in Jeshurun. And then he was obviously a prophet. And then he was also a priest. When you go to the book of Psalms, I believe it is. I wish I had the reference off the top of my head. But when you go to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm points out that Moses was a priest because he appointed Aaron as high priest. So Moses was a priest. He was of a priestly order that made priests, which is very interesting. So you say, well, what, what difference does that make? Well, there's a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody ever heard of him? Everybody ever met him? Well, he fulfills the role of prophet, birth, earthly ministry, priest, what he's doing right now. book of Hebrews says he's up in heaven and he's fulfilling that role right now. He died, he took his blood, went up into the heavenlies, and he put that blood on the, on the mercy seat in heaven. So he's a priest, and then there's coming a day where he's going to be a king. He fulfills all three roles. So what you have with a man like David and Moses is you have types of Christ. You see that? Okay, well, when you're dealing with Samuel, he's not a king. He is a judge, which is what kings do. So that's an interesting thing, but he is certainly a prophet and priest. So all of that, let's look here in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 6. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 6. Now, we're going to read a little bit, so hang with me here for just a second. Verse 16, 1 Chronicles six sixteen. The sons of Levi, Gershom, Kohath, Merari. Now, this is the lineage of the children of Israel. Levi is obviously one of the boys of of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. And so he's going to go through and he's going to give a detailed list of uh, their ancestry, their lineage. And so you've got to kind of pay attention to how he presents the names. Uh, verse 17, these be the names of the son of Gershom. So there's one of Levi's boys. Libni, uh, Shimei, the sons of Kohath. So there's another boy. Were Amram, which is where Moses came from. Okay, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, Uziel, the sons of Merari. There's another boy of Levi, uh, Mali and Mushai. These are the families of the Levites according to their fathers. Of Gushim, Gershom, I'm sorry. Libni, and Je Libni his son, Johath his son, Zima his son, Joah his son, Idu his son, uh, Zerah his son, uh, Jaadariah his son, the sons of Kohath, Amenadab his son, Korah. You remember Korah? Kor is the guy who raised up against Moses with two of the boys from the tribe of Reuben and said, God hasn't chose you, but we're all priests. And it didn't end too well for him. You say, what happened to him? He went to hell alive. So uh, verse 22, the sons of Kohath, Amenadab, his son, and Korah, his son, Asher, his son, Elkanah. Now that's not the same Elkanah that we're talking about in 1 Samuel, but hang tight. Here we go. Elkanah, his son, uh, Ebiasaph his son, Asher his son, Tehath his son, Uriel his son, Uzziah his son, Sheol his son, and the sons of Elkanah, Amasaiah, and Ahimoth. As for Elkanah, the sons of Elkanah, Zophiah his son, and Nahath his son, Eliab his son, Jeroham his son, Elkanah his son. 
and the sons of Samuel. There we are. The sons of Samuel, the firstborn Vashni and Abiah. The sons of Merari. So he switches back again. He said, Brother Nathan, I'm kind of confused already. Go home and read it again. You'll, you'll be able to sort it out. Uh, the sons of Merari, uh, Mali, Libni, his son, uh, Shimei, his son, Yuza, his son, Shim, Shimei, uh, Shimei, his son, Haggith, his son, Azaziah, his son. Y'all forgive me. I'm struggling a little bit this morning. Verse 31, and these are they whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after that the ark had rest. And they ministered before the dwelling place of the tabernacle. The congregation was singing until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And then they waited on their office according to their order. These are they that waited with their children. Of the sons of the Kohathites, Heman, a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel, the son of Elkanah, there he is, the son of Jehoram, the son of Eliel, the son of Toa, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, the son of Mahath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tahath, the son of Aser, the son of Abiasaph, the son of Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, the son of Israel. Now, what you've got from verse 33 to 38 is the lineage of Samuel. You say, well, I don't see Samuel in there. Well, look there. Uh, let me find him right quick. Look there in verse 33. Heman a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel. You say, but his name's Samuel. Verse 34, the son of Elkanah. You still got your place open in 1 Samuel 1? Let's go back and take a look. Hold your place in 1 Chronicles 6 and, and look in 1 Samuel 1. Okay, verse 1. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham. Well, verse 34 in 1 Samuel, or 1 Chronicles 6, 34. The son of Elkanah, the son of Jeroham. That's right. Uh, 1 Samuel says the son of Elihu. You go back and you compare it, and it's Eliel. Go back to 1 Samuel. Then it's Tohu, and in 34 of 1 Chronicles 6, it's Toa. So you can see the names change a little bit, but you go on down and keep, keep chasing it down. The son of Zuth in 1 Samuel, verse 35 of 1 Chronicles, 30, uh, 1 Chronicles 6, the son of Zuth. And then the next guy is... Uh, Boy, I lost my place. The son of Elkanah. And 1 Samuel 1 stops with Zuf, and he's said to be an Ephrathite. So what you've got, what you've got is in 1 Chronicles 6, he calls him Shemuel, but his name's Samuel. And you know that to be the case because look at who Shemuel's boy is. His name's Joel. You see that? Go back, hold your place in 1 Chronicles 6 and look in... 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Some of you bored already. Sorry. Just hang, hang tight. This is good information to have. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and look in verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was what? There he is. So when you're looking in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, he says, Heman a singer, the son of Joel, 
the son of Shemuel, the son of Elkanah. There's Samuel. There's Elkanah. There's you guys. That's who you're looking for. So when you come through, what you'll find is that a lot of times the Bible gives somebody a name over here and then turns around and gives them another name. For example, when you go back up in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 26, As for Elkanah, the sons of Elkanah, Zophai his son, and Nahath his son, Eliab his son, Joram his son, Elkanah his son, and the sons of Samuel. Well, see, there he gives his real name. He gives his common name, the name that you know him by, the sons of Samuel. The firstborn, Vashni. Well, 1 Samuel 8 says that his firstborn is Joel. So you see how the scripture goes through and sometimes it gives a guy a name over here and then it turns around and gives a guy, that same man a different name over here. You say, well, that's kind of deceptive. You say, well, man, why would the Lord do something like that? Well, I don't know all of his reasons, but I do know one reason. And it's because God sets it up to where if you really want to know something about the Bible, you've got to dig for it. You see how we took two passages and we read through. and oh, Everybody, when they get to 1 Chronicles, they read through and say, what does this have to do with anything? Well, you won't know until you slow down and start reading and say, who's that? Who's that? And... Archaeology is that way. When you're looking at biblical locations, you want to get lost in your, in your Bible. Just start trying to figure out where things are. My soul, we're going to try and do a little bit of that this morning. But all I'm saying is that if you really want to know something about the Scripture, you've got to look. And so sometimes men are hidden where they've got one name here and they've got another name here, and you won't know unless you compare their genealogies. First Chronicles, First Samuel, compare them. Well, lo and behold, there they are. And that's important. It's important for Samuel because here in First Chronicles chapter 6, you can trace him all the way back to Levi. Now, let me just point out something that might be of particular interest to you as a Christian. We've kind of mentioned it already. Here in verse 33, you've got Joel. Are you still open to First Samuel chapter 8? Look here in verse of 1 Samuel 8. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of the second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Verse 3, and his sons walked not in his ways. Whose ways? Samuel's ways. His sons didn't walk the same way that Samuel walked. Was Samuel a good man? His boys were not. Look at what it says. His sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, that's money, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Samuel is a judge, and so, obviously, he has to discern, he has to come through, and he has to uh, make decisions and say what's right and wrong. People are coming to him and asking for advice and asking him for direction. And so he takes his boys and he sets them up, and they do not turn out to be of the same caliber that Samuel turned out to be. So, well, what, what, what application does that have for me as a Christian? Just because your mom and daddy turn out to be something doesn't mean that you will. You have to make your own decisions. Just because you have turned out to be something for the Lord does not mean that your kids will. Samuel stayed faithful to the Lord his entire life. Listen, listen. Samuel was so faithful that when God quit talking to Saul, Saul couldn't get an answer from God. Saul went to a witch and said, I need to talk to Samuel. And God let Samuel 
come up from the dead and talk to Saul. And it wasn't good news. I don't recommend going and talking to a witch to get a word from God. You won't get good news. I, I got in touch with my uh, dead, you know, great-grandmother. Really? She gave you good news? She's probably a bitter old hag. <clears throat> Just make sure y'all are awake there. You see, that was a little extra. That has nothing to do with the thing. All I'm trying to say, listen, all I'm trying to say is that if you're a good man, if you're a good woman, that doesn't mean that your kids are going to turn out right. If your mom and dad is a good man or a good woman, doesn't mean that you will turn out right. And it also applies the other way. Watch. Heman a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel, there's Samuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Eliel, the son of Toha, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, the son of Mahath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tehath, the son of Asher, the son of Abiasath, the son of Korah. You know who's in Samuel's line in his lineage? The guy who looked at Moses and said, you're not in charge of us. Just because, listen, just because you have a great-grandparent or a great-grandma that got bitter at church or got bitter with a preacher does not mean that you are doomed and destined to spiritual failure for the rest of your life. Just because they got bitter with God over something stupid that took place in a church does not mean that you have to go that way. Here's a man that God looked at. Uh, uh, let me see if I got the notes here. Uh, I, I don't have it on my paper, but uh, there is a passage in Ezekiel, I believe it is, that God talks about Moses, or yeah, I believe it's Moses and Samuel, and he's talking about these men being intercessors and talking about how that Israel had gone so far in the context, it's not a good statement. He's not talking ill of Moses and, uh, and Samuel. But in the context, he's talking about Israel's gone so far that if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind could not be changed towards Israel. Well, what that speaks of is it speaks of Moses and Samuel being intercessors. Moses got in a particular situation with the children of Israel where God said on numerous occasions, Leave me alone. I'm going to kill all these people, and I'm going to start over with you. Moses said, whoa, time out. Hang on just a second, Lord. If you do that, what's all these nations going to say? And God, the Bible said God repented him of the evil that he thought to do to Israel. Samuel is the same way. We'll look at that in detail when they begin to ask for a king. God tells, him it, God tells Samuel in one spot, he says, the, the only reason that they're rejecting you is because they've already rejected me. And Samuel's praying about the same thing. Samuel is concerned about the thing. Samuel turned out to be one of the greatest men in the Bible. And in his lineage, he has somebody who was famous. The Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Deuteronomy, it brings up the name Korah, and he says, that Korah who was famous in the congregation of Israel. Well, what's he famous for? Nothing good. He's famous for going to hell alive. Brother Nathan, I've really got some bad people in my family. Welcome to living. We all do. 
I have family up in Jessup who I've never met, but my grandmother on my mother's side tells me that they're all horse thieves. I mean, I don't know. It sounds interesting. I don't know any of their names. I mean, I think we got somebody in here who's related to Wyatt Earp or something. I don't, I don't know. But you, you don't know. But see, none of that has to make a determination on how you turn out. You can make your own decisions. You young folks sitting in here, God forbid, God forbid that your parents get bitter with God and get out of church. Some of you sitting in here right now have parents that are mad at God, they're bitter, and yet here you are. Well, some of you kids, God forbid, man, I hope not, but some of you kids sitting in here right now, you may have parents that will get mad and bitter with God and get out of church. You don't have to go that way. You, just, you don't have to. And Samuel, Samuel turned out to be a great man, and he had some not-so-great people in his lineage. All right, so look, here, look back in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and let's take a look at this again. So verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible said, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephrathite. Now, at some point, Lord willing, I don't know when it will be, but God willing, we're going to try and get an a overhead projector, not because we're trying to modernize, but I would like to take some maps and throw them up here and let you see because some of this information of where cities are would be really helpful for you, I think, to see where those things are. But look down here, verse 2. The Bible said, This man Elkanah had two wives. The name was one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, verse 3. This man, Elkanah, went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now, Reading through your Bible, hopefully you've made it through your Bible at least once, but do you remember where when you go through, uh, it's uh, 2 Samuel, it's really, it's really 1 Kings, and then you get into 2 Chronicles, and you get under the reign of Solomon. God, uh, David goes up and he conquers Jerusalem, and then David goes off the scene, he reigns and rules and reigns in Jerusalem for 40 years, and then Solomon comes on the scene, and Solomon builds this great big temple, right? You remember that? Okay, well, when people go to sacrifice and to celebrate the feast, they go to Jerusalem, to the temple. So then why is this guy not going to Jerusalem? He's going to Shiloh. That's a good, re that's a good question, ain't it? Okay, hold your place in 1 Samuel, and let's look back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12, and let's look at what the Lord says about uh, offering these things. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and look in verse 1. So where we're at in Deuteronomy is children of Israel have come out. They're getting ready to go. They've come out of Egypt, getting ready to go into Canaan. Deuteronomy is just, the, the name means second. Deutero means second. So really what you got in Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. You've got all this stuff, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers is some history mixed in. But you've got the first giving of the law, these instructions, and then Moses is doing a review in the book of Deuteronomy, and he kind of re-gives some information. So here's one of the things that, that the Lord tells the children of Israel through Moses. Deuteronomy 12, verse 1. These are the statutes 
excuse me, and, the, and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye shall live upon the earth. And ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye possessed serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. Okay, now walk you through this right quick. You remember... Uh, boy, there's so much stuff to take a look at. I don't know if you'll remember this. Genesis chapter, ooh, somewhere around Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to give you this land. Turns out to be the land of Canaan. And he goes through there and he makes a covenant with Abraham, and, but he doesn't take Abraham in during Abraham's life. He waits until it's the descendants of Jacob. You have Abraham, Isaac, Isaac sojourns, he gets a wife, Rebekah, and then they have two boys, Jacob the con man, which is also Israel, and then Esau, who turns out to be Edom, good information for you to know. And then Jacob has a boy named Joseph. Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, goes down into Egypt, becomes second in command, and then Joseph sends back word and says, hey, I'm second in command. There's this famine going on everywhere. Come on down here. Bring your whole family down in here into Egypt. And so they get down into Egypt. Exodus chapter 1 opens up, and the Pharaoh who knew Joseph has died. And so now the, the new Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 1, is putting Egypt, uh, Israel in hard bondage. Moses goes down. God said, let my people go. There's the whole book of Exodus. But when God makes that covenant with Abraham, he tells him, he says, I'm going to give you this land. But he said, I'm not going to do it yet because the transgression of the Amorites has not come in yet to the full. I may not have quoted that exactly the way it's written, but that's basically the gist. Well, what's the transgression of the Amorites? It's the transgression of all those people that had to be driven out of the land of Canaan. Idolatry. So when... Israel gets ready to go in. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 2, what the Lord's telling them is, you're going to go in and you're going to find all these shrines to Mary, the Virgin Mary, to use a modern example. You're going to find these shrines to Buddha, and you're going to find all the, all the shrines to all these gods of the Hindu religion. They've all got their own stuff. Baal, Molech, all that stuff. That's what was going on in those days. God said, when you run across those, when you run across those groves, which is a section of trees, it's a nice pretty place where these gods are set up. God said, cut all the groves down. Take their images and stomp them into the ground and burn them, which is largely what David did. That's why the Lord loved David so much, I believe. But he said right there in verse 2, he said, Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. Verse 3, ye shall overthrow their altars. Don't take their altars and sacrifice animals on that to me. That has great application for us as, as Christians in the New Testament church. That's why we don't take rock music and bring it into the church to worship our God. Our God has a specific way that he wants to be worshiped. So we don't take carnal things. We don't take ungodly things and say, well, I'm using it to serve God with because God is not interested. Amen. Amen. Verse 3, ye shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. 
ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. And thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and heave offerings of your hand and your vows, your freewill offerings and the first fruits of your herds and of your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God. Ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, and ye and your households wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. So here's the Gentile way of worship. You ready? We're not talking about matters of the church. We're talking about Old Testament economy, the way that the pagans, the Gentiles, which is where we're from. Amen. We're Gentiles. So our ancestors, the Bible says in the Old Testament, here's the Gentile mode of worship. I want to worship Baal. I want to worship Molech. I'll just go in my backyard and plant a bunch of trees and set up a false god, and I'll take my sacrifice out there, and I'll burn my sacrifice to that false god. The Lord said to Israel, you don't do that. God said, when you get into the land, he said, there's, there's 12 tribes. <clears throat> there's 12 tribes. He said, I'm going to give you a settlement. All, each one of you tribes is going to get a section of this land of Canaan, which they got. That's what Joshua is about. You go through the end of Joshua and you're reading all these cities. Again, it's like 1 Chronicles, the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles. What's all these cities about? It's important information. That is the inheritance that God gave to each tribe. So when they get into the land of Canaan, God said, uh, he said, there's going to be a place where I am going to put my name. And he said, when you get ready to sacrifice, you come there and you offer a sacrifice at the place where I put my name. You don't go in your backyard. You don't go down to... Zidon or Tyre, wherever all these other gods have been worshipped, you come to the place where I put my name. When you get into First, uh, Second Chronicles and uh, First Kings, you find out where the Lord put His name, Jerusalem. God did that because He wanted to, but God did that because He loved David. You can find that throughout the book of Jeremiah. I don't really have time to run through that. We might run through that maybe next Sunday. I, I doubt it. But God did that because he loved David. God did a lot of things with David because he loved him. David was a man after God's own heart, man. David, David's a good man. He, he made a mess, but he was a good man. God said he was a good man. But anyways, Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the place where God put his name. So what's all this stuff about these people, 1 Samuel chapter 1, going up to offer, verse 3, 1 Samuel 1, 3, this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. That's not the place where God put his name. Okay, go back to Joshua chapter 18. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 18. We'll find out what this Shiloh is all about. So you remember, coming through the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies, and he goes up on Mount Pisgah. He looks over that place. God told him, you're not going in because you and Aaron didn't sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, and so you're going to die. Aaron dies, and then the same year, a little bit later, Moses dies, and God buries him 
up there on Mount Pisgah. He gets up there and he looks out over and all the children of Israel mourn. And then at, that's the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua picks up. God comes down and he talks to Joshua and he says, take courage. Same way I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. That's a great encouragement. Joshua gets his stuff together and he gets ready to go in. And, you know, they cross Jordan and they go up to Jericho, go around seven times, or they go around once for six days, seventh day they go around seven times, and the walls came tumbling down, right? And then they go to Ai, and then they go to all these places and they start conquering these lands. Well, when they get in there, before too long, they have to start breaking off into their tribes and going up and conquering all these places and driving out all these heathen that God told them to go in and conquer. That's what happens with a, with a national religion. It's what you got in the Old Testament. That's why the Roman Catholic Church goes through and they have the Crusades because they're still in the Old Testament. So I don't understand all that. Just tuck that away back in your mind. You might understand it at some point. We'll, we'll go over it. But that's good information to have. That's why the Muslims come through and they have their form of the Crusades. It's because they're stuck in the Old Testament. They're taking an arrangement that God made with Israel and they're applying it to themselves, not understanding that we're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New Testament and your responsibility is not to conquer land. Your responsibility is to trust Christ as your Savior. But I mean, if you're a Muslim, who would want to do that? I can be a martyr and go to heaven and have 936 virgins because I've got fornication in my heart. That's what it's about. Amen. And same thing with Rome, with the Roman Catholic Church. It's... It's different that, that, that not necessarily fornication, but they have other motives. We don't have time to look at all that. Well, when you come to the book of Joshua, when they get ready to separate and go into all their, their places, look in Joshua 18, verse 1. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. Well, there it is. And set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. Well, what's that tabernacle of the congregation? You remember when Moses came out, the book of Exodus, the latter part. I know some of you have not too long read through the book of Exodus because you told me about it and told me, man, all this furniture. What's this got to do with anything? Well, there it is, the tabernacle of the congregation. When they come into the land of Canaan, they set up this tabernacle of the congregation, all of this stuff, and they set it up right there in Shiloh. And what Shiloh becomes is the headquarters of the children of Israel. Uh, look, that's uh, verse 1, look in verse 8. And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that went to describe the land. So they're going through to spy, to look and see what all the land is, saying, go and walk through the land and describe it, make a map, whatever, describe it, and come again to me that I may here cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. It's the funniest thing. In the Old Testament, they would basically essentially roll dice, and that was how they would ascertain the will of God. Cast lots. That's, that's what they did in the Old Testament. God, uh, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but the disposing thereof is the Lord's. Now, we don't roll dice today, do you? You better not, bunch of gamblers. We don't roll dice to ascertain the will of God. You say, why? We have a Bible. We read what the Bible says, and then we believe it, and we walk by faith. 
But in the Old Testament, they didn't have a Bible. These guys walk in and they've got the first five books of they've got the first five books of your Bible. They've got Moses's books. That's all they got. Well, there's nothing in those first five books that says where this guy's going to go and where this tribe's going to go and where this tribe's going to go. So they get here, they get in Shiloh, and they set up this tabernacle, and then they get down there, and Mo, Joshua looks at all these heads of the tribes, and he says, go through the land, come back, describe it, tell me what it is. And he said, we're going to sit down here in front of this ta- the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. We're going to cast lots and figure out who gets what land. That's what he said right there in verse 8. Uh, verse 9, and the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities into seven parts in a book. So they write it down and came again to Joshua to the host at Shiloh. So I think you can see what's going on. Verse 10, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now turn over to chapter 19 and look in verse 51. Joshua 19, verse 51. These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation so they made an end of dividing the country. That's what you're looking at in chapter 18 and chapter 19. These men went out, spied the land, came back and said, here's a book, here's what all, all we found. And Joshua takes that book and he gets down there and I don't know what he uses to cast lots, I don't, I don't know what the implements were, and he begins to divide up the land and he says, this is, well, where did all that take place? Shiloh, it's headquarters, Shiloh. Look in verse 22, or I'm sorry, chapter 22. Chapter 22 and look in verse Nine. Just to abbreviate what you're looking at in Joshua chapter 22, if you remember reading through your Bible, uh, you remember uh, when the children of Israel get ready to pass over into the land of Canaan. I'm going to draw an imaginary map. Up at the top, you're looking at, you've got this curved piece over here where the Mediterranean Sea is. That's called the Great Sea. That area of land right on that shore is called the Fertile Crescent, uh, reasons. But anyways, then up top as you come inland quite a ways, there's the Sea of Galilee, and then there's a body, a long stream, a long river that goes all the way down, and it goes all the way down to the Dead Sea, way down south, which, by the way, is where Sodom and Gomorrah is. It's under the Dead Sea. You can find that in the book of Genesis. But anyways, you go all the way down. That river is called Jordan. So... You're looking at the Mediterranean Sea over here. When you come down over here, you've got Egypt, right? You remember that? You've got the Nile coming up, and it separates into this delta, these headwaters of the Nile. And so when Israel comes out, they come out, and they cross the Red Sea, and they go down into Arabia, which is where Mount Sinai is. It's not the Sinai Peninsula. We'll look at that at some point. But they come down over here to the Sinai, or they come down here to Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia, and then they come north. And when they come north, they come on the east side of Jordan. They come on the east side of the Dead Sea, the east side of that whole river. And when Joshua picks up, what they have to do is they have to cross the river Jordan. Joshua tells you about that. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, four on each corner. They go down, they get in the water. God stops the waters and 
Man, that river, the, the river stops where the priests are and the rest of the river just keeps flowing. And lo and behold, it's almost like the Red Sea parted all over again. And Israel goes over on the dry ground and then Jericho takes place. That's what you're looking at. So when they, when they, come, when they get ready to come over, before they cross that river, uh, there's two and a half tribes, Manasseh, Gad, and I believe Reuben. They come to Moses and they say, look, we're satisfied with staying on the east side of Jordan. We'd like to stay here. And Moses says, okay, I got a sermon on this. We're going to preach it at some point. Maybe we'll preach it tonight. But he comes through and he says, he says, that's fine. He said, you can do that. He said, but are you going to stay on the east side of Jordan while your brethren go in on the west side to conquer all the land? He said, if you stay out here on the east side, you're going to discourage the heart of the people. He said, leave your families here, make corrals for your cattle, make all these towns and all this stuff for your cattle to stay here, let your family and your wives and children stay here. But you pass over Jordan with the rest of the nation and help them conquer the land, and then after that you can go back. Joshua 22, Joshua is telling them, go ahead and go back. You're done. Joshua 22, look in verse uh, 9. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, see, which is, the, which is in the land of Canaan to go unto the country of Gilead to the land of their possession whereof they possessed according to, according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now look over in, let me see, verse 12 down in verse 12. And when the, con when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. So any time the children of Israel, all I'm trying to do is point out what's going on at Shiloh. You say, what's this got to do with us? Well, everything doesn't have to do with you as a Christian. Don't be so self-centered, you narcissist. It has to do with Israel. But what you've got going on, what you've got going on is anytime the children of Israel get ready to go out to battle, let's go to Shiloh. The book of Judges, if you go into the book of Judges, <clears throat> you get towards, you remember Samson. After Samson, there was, there's the story of, of Micah making a false god and he does all this kind of stuff. And then there's a situation that goes on in the land that the tribe of Benjamin uh, that they inherited to where this gal, man, this guy, I'm not going to be too descriptive, but it, it's very blunt in the scripture. The Lord minces no words, but he goes through and this uh, fella is passing through and basically these sodomites come to the door and say, hey, the man that came in, bring him out that we may know him. And he says, hey, I've got a concubine. We'll bring her out and you can do with her as you please. That girl, that girl gets killed. And so this fella takes this lady and goes home and cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her to the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. That's, that's pretty rough. People have always been reprobates. Amen. People have always been wicked. But he does this, and a lot of the children of Israel come up to this guy, and they come to this guy, and they say, what is this all about? What's going on? And so he tells them the story. So all of the children of Israel get together, and they get ready to go down into this town in Benjamin, in the land of Benjamin, to handle business like they're supposed to. That's what the end of the book of Judges is about. 
before they go conquer, they go down to where Eleazar is. You know where Eleazar? Eleazar is the son of Aaron, the high priest. Aaron's died. Eleazar. Then you've got, or it might be Phineas and Eleazar. I forget which one. But you've got Aaron, Eleazar, Phineas. Well, Eleazar is down at Shiloh. So before the children of Israel go into the land of Benjamin to basically wipe them out, they don't wipe them out entirely, but they do a lot of damage. They wipe out quite a few people. When they, before they go down there, they go to Shiloh. Shiloh is headquarters. So before Jerusalem is ever a thing, you've got Shiloh. You understand all of that? That's a lot of information this morning. But look here in uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 19. Judges 21, verse 19. I don't know if you're taking notes, but this is good information to just write down and go home and look at it. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 19. And look in verse, yeah, verse 19. I'm sorry, I already said it about three times. Uh, verse 19. Then they said, this is after all that mess I just described to you. Then they said, behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly. Well, you read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Elkanah goes up to offer a sacrifice to the Lord out of his city in Shiloh yearly. There it is. So, behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly in, the, in a place which is on the north side of Bethel, Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Shechem, and on the south of Labona. You say, well, why is that important? Because that tells you where Shiloh is. When you start pulling out maps and looking at biblical locations, you've got to check it with the Scripture. Because a lot of people are not Bible believers. They don't believe what's written. So when somebody says, well, this is the location of such and such, for example, this is where Mount Sinai is. Most people say that Mount Sinai is where it is because Constantine, a Roman emperor, his demoniac mother came through after Constantine got in and she started coming through and assigning places as holy sites. And so everybody puts Mount Sinai at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. That is not where Mount Sinai is. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says that's not where it is. Galatians says that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. So it's on the other side. The Red Sea comes up into two bodies of water. It's on the other side of the second body of water. Very important. So that's, that gives you the idea of where Shiloh is. Now, turn over to 1 Samuel. We don't have a whole lot of time. Look over in 1 Samuel chapter 2. So Shiloh is where the house of the Lord is. It's where the tabernacle of the congregation is. You understand that? That is where headquarters is. When we're going to take the land, we're going to go to Shiloh. So that means that the Ark of the Covenant is in Shiloh. The table of showbread is in Shiloh. Uh, the candlestick, all that stuff that's made back in Exodus, that is all in Shiloh. But there is a problem down at Shiloh. 1 Samuel chapter 2, look in verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, Eli is the high priest. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Hold your place right there in 1 Samuel 2, look back at, Chapter 1, 
and look in verse 3. This man went up out of his city yearly to worship the sac- and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. Eli's a priest, but he's got two boys. They're also priests. I'm not going to read the rest of the passage because we've preached about it so much here in the church, but Hophni and Phinehas are reprobates. They are reprobates. Fornication, but also they're not treating the sacrifices of God correctly. They're not doing what's laid out in the Old Testament law. It is a mess. Because of that, Look down in verse 27. There came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Talking about Aaron. And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest to offer upon mine altar to burn incense to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded to be in my habitation. That's in Shiloh. When you get, you say, why are you making a big deal out of that? Because when you get to Solomon's time, God's habitation is Jerusalem. God said, my habitation right now is Shiloh. Watch. Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and my offering, which I've commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel. My people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thy house, and thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine, whom, shall, whom I shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart, and all the increase of thine age shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die. Both of them. Stern warning from the Lord to Eli. Sends him a prophet. He's the high priest. Prophet comes in and puts his finger in his face and says, God's going to kill both of your boys for you letting your boys trample on God's house. Just because a man's a preacher doesn't mean he gets to run it his way. He has to run it God's way. Even if his children get in the way. You have to dump your kids to stick with God. I'm not talking about you can't have nothing to do with them. I'm not talking about you can't have a a relationship with them. But if your kids put you in a situation to where you have to choose between your children and God, you have to drop your kids to go with God. That is tough. That is rough, man. I I would not want to do that with any of my children. I wouldn't want any parent to do that with their children. I'm just saying, you become a a preacher. And the the context is a priest. But that's the attitude that you have to take as a preacher. God first. My my children last. Amen. A lot of people are not willing to do that. And that's why churches are in the shape that they're in. Fornication is wrong until it's my daughter or son. Drinking is wrong until it's my daughter or son. Not right. 
You're going to ruin God's house. And when God comes knocking on your door, God's going to tell you, you're done. Boy, I could, I, we could preach right there, but I, I don't have time. Oh, it's a mess. Okay, now look, look over in Jeremiah chapter 7. Boy, I'm going to finish this. We're going to run over, but I, I, I want to finish this because this is good information. Boy, it's real good stuff. Look here in Jeremiah chapter 7. Get Jeremiah 7 in one hand and Jeremiah 26 in the other. <clears throat> Jeremiah 26. Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 26. Give you a second until I quit hearing the pages turn. All right. Jeremiah 7. And look in verse 12. But go ye now, God's talking to Israel, go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh, where I did set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. God messed it up. And now, because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard it not, and I called you, but ye answered not, therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I had done to Shiloh. God said, God said, you go back, he told the children of Israel, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet because he's really letting them have it because of their idolatry. And God said, you children of Israel, you go back to Shiloh and see what I did to it because of all the wickedness that was going on down at Shiloh. 1 Samuel chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. You see all that? Okay, God said, I'm fixing to do the same thing with Jerusalem. You remember the makers of the Titanic? Even God can't sink this ship. That was the attitude of Israel towards Jerusalem. God's not going to let anything happen. This is the place where God said his name. God said, go back to Shiloh. I put my name in Shiloh and I tore it to shreds because of your idolatry. God said, I'm going to do the same thing to Jerusalem. It's coming from the mouth of Jeremiah. Oh, God didn't say that is what the Israel said. God tore it apart. Jerusalem right now is not inhabited by Israel in the main. It's mixed. Israel's got some parts of it. Muslims have some part of it. The Roman Catholic Church wants part of it. They ain't got it. God tore it to shreds. There's a big Muslim mosque sitting up on the top of that mountain, Jerusalem. Well, that's supposed to be the place where the temple of the Lord sits. So what's that from? Idolatry. Look, look here in uh, Jeremiah 26, verse 6. Then will I make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. God said, I'm going to take this place and I'm going to level it. Now, look in Psalm. We're going to have to close here. Those of you that just came in, forgive us. We're still in the middle of Sunday school because I had a lot of information that I was trying to cover this morning. Go to, go to the book of Psalms and we'll close right here. Take a little break. Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78 and look in verse 51. Psalm chapter 78 and verse 51. Now, you go through here. I'm not going to read it all. 
but I give you just an understanding of where we're at in Psalm 58 or Psalm 78. Uh, in Psalm 78, Asaph, the writer of Psalm 78, is giving, he's recounting the history of Israel. And he says, uh, well, look in verse 43. How he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. Verse 44, he turned the rivers into blood. Verse 45, sent divers sorts of flies among them. Verse 46, he gave also their increase under the caterpillar. Verse 47, destroyed their vines with hail. Verse 48, he gave up their cattle also to the hail. Uh, verse 49, he cast upon them the fierceness of his wrath, anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. What's he talking about? Book of Exodus. Down in Egypt, God's trying to get his people out. God sent them down there and troubled them. I mean, messed Egypt all to pieces. Verse 51, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt and the chief of their strength in the tabernacles of hand. But he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So now he's talking about God bringing them out and leading them through. Verse 53, he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. That's part of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army gets drowned through there. Okay, look down here in verse 56. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. People are, have always been people. And kept not his testimonies, turned back, dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. When God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of how about that? The tent, the tent, the tent which he placed among men. You remember the children of Israel? They set up this tent. They take the tabernacle of the congregation. They set it up in Shiloh. That's headquarters. We just looked at that. That's headquarters. First Samuel chapter 4. I was going to look at this, but we ain't got time. We're five minutes over already. First Samuel chapter 4. Israel goes out and they fight against the Philistines and they say, Man, the Lord's smiting us before the children, before the Philistines. Send back to Shiloh and get the Ark of the Covenant. Go get our good luck charm. Get our rabbit's foot. Bring it out here and we'll defeat them. The Philistines believed that. When the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, they said, Whoa, the mighty gods are among us. The Philistines said, Quit yourselves like men. Be strong and fight against these Israelites. And you know what happened? Israel lost even with the Ark of the Covenant out there. And the Philistines came and got the Ark of Covenant and took it down there. They took it down to the land of the Philistines. When it goes down into the land of the Philistines, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a picture of the presence of God, never made it back to Shiloh. It never got back. God came to Eli and said, listen, I am going to demolish your house. I'm going to kill your two boys in one day. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Bring out the Ark of the Covenant, they said. That's what Eli's boys said. They died in that battle. On that same day when Eli heard of it, he fell backwards off of the seat where he was sitting, fell and broke his neck because the Bible says he was a very heavy man. That's what happens when you eat all those sacrifices that you're not supposed to be eating. That's exactly what was going on. So they get down there and that Ark of the Covenant comes out of Shiloh and it never gets back. I don't have time to run the references, but when it comes back, they... Philistines get it down into the land of the Philistines. Ashkelon, Ashdod, they get it down there. And God is sending all kinds of stuff down there. Plaguing them. I said, man, we got to get this thing out of here. 
And so they send it up, and they send it, they put it on a cart, pulled by two milk kind, and they send it up, and it gets into Beth Shemesh. Shiloh was settled by Ephraim. When you get into the minor prophets, God has nothing kind to say about Ephraim. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let them alone. When it gets to Beshemesh, you know who owns Beshemesh? You know who, what tribe settled in Beshemesh? Judah. You say, what's the significance of that? That's what tribe David belonged to. I don't have time to run it this morning. We're already seven minutes over. But boy, you can begin to see how that God got done with Ephraim and God began to take his, his attention and set it on Judah. There's David, prophet, priest, and king. Wild stuff, man. A lot of history this morning. Lord, help us this morning. God, I pray you help us, God, Lord. And uh, Lord, thank you, God, for the scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you, God, for all these lessons that we can learn, Lord, just by watching the history of people. God, somebody said that you can learn from mistakes, but they don't always have to be your own. And I pray that you'd help us to take heed to that advice. God, help us to learn from the errors of other people, God, Lord, this book, Lord, that you've written for us to have. Romans chapter 15 says that this book was written for our admonition and our learning that we through patience and hope, uh, that we through the scriptures might have, might find patience and hope. God, help us, Lord, we pray. We'll thank you for it. Bless the morning service. God, we went a little bit over, but Lord, I pray that you'd bless the morning service. God, speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, take, take five minutes. We got to get rolling. Uh, my apologies for going over, but that was fun.